You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Let me get my audio should have hooked up to bluetooth but it's not yet currently yeah yeah because for a second there you sound like eeyore like we're, we're gonna like it was underwater yeah oh, it was like man. a very depressing 100 acre wood right, we're all gonna die oh bother oh bother okay. piglet. i believe yeah i hear you guys in my in my <clears throat> my airpods not to brag yeah, ooh, fancy. <laughs> Are they AirPods or AirPods Pro? Uh, AirPods SB Nation doesn't pay me nearly enough for AirPods Pro. <laughs> yeah, ooh, that made me feel, AirPods Pro made me feel all tingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Speaking of not feeling tingly, so I had to pay my, my fee for my first LSU class in like almost 30 years tonight. And I paid more for this three-hour class than I did my entire first freshman semester. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That's how much you rem- tuition has skyrocketed. Okay, That's yeah, ridiculous. I, I know tuition has gone up a ton because there used to be a huge between in-state and out-of-state. Do you remember not just walk-through registration, but the walk-through registration oh, just to assemble your bill? Yes, that was awful. Oh, I mean – like what? What was the what was the phone thing that came along? Reggie. Reggie. Yes, when Reggie was new, that was like, oh my god, the best thing ever. But you still had to do walk through registration, and all you were doing was slowly assembling your bill. Yep. It was, oh my god, it was the worst. I I, I cannot. At least when there was walk through registration for classes, you're like, hey, I got registered for the class I wanted. When all it is is just you. Hey, this is just more thousands of dollars you're going to have to pay. I mean, just what a kick in the nads. Well, my fr- my freshman semester at LSU was nine hundred and thirty-five dollars for a full slate of classes. Oh God, that uh, yeah, and, that... And, and I had a five hundred dollars scholarship for the first uh, for first two semesters for my for, for my freshman year, so I only had to write a check for four thirty-five. And and yeah, this, this oh, one class is is more expensive than nine hundred thirty-five dollars. So. Yeah, that's a Sometimes when I really hate myself, I like to look at how cost of tuition has skyrocketed in just the past 20 years or so. Why? Is that your fault? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, those, those tax cuts got to come from somewhere. And they realize that students don't vote. <laughs> Welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. <laughs> I'm your kind of cynical host, Poser. Kind of? And with kind of? <laughs> no, feeling, feeling kind of good. And with me, as always, 
and full of holiday cheer. <laughs> Our producer sure. Chris, how's it sure. going? I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go with full of holiday cheer. Uh, it's better than being full of other stuff. So sure. Really, it's better than being full of eggnog. Oh, eggnog. I don't know. I don't know about that. Depends on the eggnog. Uh, no, just go straight to whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> whiskey with egg yolk is just a recipe for vomit. Uh, why would anyone drink egg eggnog? Uh, yeah, but we have a full boat here tonight. Complaining as usual is Max. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. Giants got a rigged out of the playoffs but they kind of didn't deserve to be there anyway so yeah i don't want to hear it also that game the cowboys game was sort of rigged in the giants favor so it worked out beautifully everyone goes home upset (laughs) (laughs) literally nobody's happy and finally our editor-in-chief the boss man zach we're back we're back we're back first one of 2021 that's right welcome to 2021 hopefully only 50% as horrible as 2020. <laughs> My I mean, dog walked in, too. Hello, Tucker. Look at you. All, welcome to the dogs. We are a dog-friendly podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we will pause for dog dog scratches. It's important. We got a new dog for uh, for Christmas. And so the, the new official dog of Poser is uh, terrified of me. So she hangs out with the wife and kids. And anytime I walk in the room, she leaves. And <laughs> there, are few good, things, huh? yeah, there are few things in the world that make you feel like more of a monster than a dog rejecting you <laughs> every day. <laughs> so yeah, I'm having a... You'll get yeah, over it. Yeah, I will. I'm a, I'm, I'm a tough guy. So we did not talk in the immediate aftermath of the Ole Miss game. Because uh, we all had to do Christmas stuff, and I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. And I don't, you know, it's too late to just get into the specifics of the Ole Miss game. But how about LSU rallying in the last two games of the season to get to 500? Still has not had a losing season this century. Yeah, I mean they still look kind of bad, but I can't shake previous standards, I guess, but. Yeah, look at them getting to 500, going into the season with off season with some positive momentum, and I mean, a lot of people in the whole program seems to have kind of stepped off the ledge a little bit, and that's kind of what we we needed. So, uns- or very surprisingly, they were able to actually gain something from playing the last two games. Yeah, they very very easily could have just rolled over, rolled over and died, and accepted their fate as the first uh, losing defending champs since. Uh, is it Ohio State, Michigan State, one of those Big Ten schools from the 40s? But I think it was Sparty, but yeah, it was a long time ago. But, but they they dug deep. They they had no business winning that Florida game, and they ruined Florida's season. Yeah, honestly, kind of kind of ruined A&M's as well. If Florida beats LSU, that's A&M's best win. And they, they hang a shingle out on that win because they can say Florida's only losses were to Bama and Texas A&M. Look how good we are. And instead, Florida loses to a mediocre LSU team. And it really took the wind out of AM's resume. 
I don't think that was the only factor. I think the fact that they weren't wearing Notre Dame's uniforms really hurt them. I think the other thing that really hurt them is that they had already played Alabama, and nobody wants to see that again. They kind of had already gotten their chance. It didn't come close. Right. They got destroyed. But still, it was nice to help. Yeah, and Florida's season was completely ruined. I mean, they were they could have gone into the SEC title game with one loss. They probably would not have made the playoff at two losses, but like they ended up losing their last three games to finish with four losses. Like that's a I know they lost to Alabama and Oklahoma, but like that's a that's a collapse. Yeah, it was not good. But still good enough to be named uh, Pro Football Focus's Coach of the Year. So yeah, congratulations. I, I love PFF, but I really I don't understand how you quanti- how you decide on a coach. Yeah, that, that's carrying too much about your formula. There there is a point you need to use some eye test. Well, it, it's not even like coaching. How do you quant- like how do you quantify that? I mean, I guess you would say this is what you expected the team to be, and then how much they overperform, but. Yeah, in college, college you're responsible for the roster. So isn't the amount yeah. of talent you have That's also true. a reflection of the coach? Yeah, I, yeah, I, that one I don't get. Problem is with co- any Coach of the Year award this year is you actually kind of have to give it to Nick Saban, and nobody wants to do that because that's the Coach of the Year every year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but I think this is especially yeah. – I think this is Alabama – was the only team in the country that seemed to suffer no ill effects from COVID. I mean, this was just business as usual. They just kept going. Like they were, hell, I don't think professional teams dealt with the virus as well as Bama, or at least as seamlessly as they did. Yeah, maybe the Chiefs, but they have the best quarterback in the NFL, so. And also on top of that, like Bama has not had an undefeated national champion since 2009. That's a weird, that's just a weird stat. Like Auburn and LSU have done it since then. So this is arguably the greatest Alabama team of all time. And it's happening in a season that only kind of halfway counts, which is kind of beautiful. Yes, that is. Does anyone think this is out? This is Bama's best team at least for the Saban era. I, I don't think so. I mean, you might get some arguments for it, but it's just that there's no competition this year. It, yeah. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from what they accomplished. I think what they accomplished, I think this is definitely Saban's best job, if that makes any sense. But I do think there's an element of nobody else really handled this season all that well, which is perfectly understandable. There's other things going on. Football is not the most important thing. Alabama just, I mean, Nick Saban is so laser focused. It, it was like nothing was going on. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of gets me when people are comparing anything that happens this season to other seasons. It's just it's just that like every team was worse. And you can't just necessarily point out specific teams, although you kind of can, but it's just that every team in the entire country except for Alabama was worse and noticeably worse because of the virus and everything that came with it. Yeah, like the SEC was bad this year, and I still think it was the best conference in the country. Yeah, it was, but the second-best team was Florida, who I think if you put this Florida team in a normal year, I mean, they're not – they're getting killed by Georgia. Georgia probably doesn't have the problems they do. Uh, LSU is clearly not as bad. Texas A&M is eh. 
Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that what uh, Cincinnati had more wins over teams with a winning record than A and M did. Right, and yeah, exactly, and that's that's crazy. And A and M played in the SEC. Right, so Alabama's competition level is considerably less than say last year's LSU team. It's and for no other reason than everything is just pared down because of COVID. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that once again, Alabama things just line up perfectly for them. But I do think this is the year you give Saban the award. This was, I don't want to say his master class, but this is the season that showed off everything that's great about Nick Saban. As much as, you know, we hate the guy here. We do recognize that he's one of the greatest football coaches of all time. And his laser-like focus and just the program, he's like a great teacher in the fact that if you have a really great teacher in high school and she's sick that day, the class would still run seamlessly without her because everything is set up. Like the procedures and the policies, just everybody knows what to do. So it doesn't matter who's in front of the room anymore because that's the machine that they've built. That's what Nick Saban's Alabama team is. Yep. Poser yesterday, I remember, was uh, the anniversary of the 2003 or 2004, I guess, the, the Sugar Bowl. Did you ever anticipate Saban entering that stratosphere? Honestly, no. Um, and I don't think Saban would have entered that stratosphere at LSU. I, I do think he needed the L- the NFL failure. I think he's a different coach at Alabama than he was at LSU. When he was at LSU, and he was still a great coach at LSU, but he definitely had the reputation of very much like Urban Meyer these days, where he's great for a few years, but he can't sustain it, mainly because he's such a jerk. No one can stand him for such a, a, a long enough time for him to – to build a program. So he, I don't mean this is a negative because look, I think urban Meyer is also a great coach, but he definitely felt like a guy who comes in, wins you a national title and then goes away. Like that was Nick Saban's rep. Even when he went to the NFL, I, I think he's a different coach now at Alabama where I think he learned kind of tone stuff down and also how to be in for the long haul and how to stay interested. Um, also, it's just – he had the NFL itch. When he was at LSU, he he was always eyeing the NFL. I, I think we were lucky to get a national t- championship out of him. And honestly, that title kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, the season before, they weren't that great. And the next year, I, I think in 2004, they lost five games. I think they went eight and five. Don't hold me to that. But I know they lost in the, the Citrus Bowl. But it wasn't surrounded by the like, two great seasons. It wasn't like he built this powerhouse at LSU. It, it 2003 kind of felt like an outlier. Yeah. But at the same time, he did what he did. So you kind of think he may have, he may have done it. Like he, what, what he built at LSU versus what he inherited. He inherited a ton of talent. Like, let's not pretend like that 2003 team was loaded with talent that he did not recruit. Like, DiNardo left him an incredible foundation. And honestly, DiNardo's problem is that he was too loyal to assistants that were very bad, Lou Tepper especially. Um, 
but it's not like Saban came into this wasteland. He walked into a fully stocked cupboard, but a coach who couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I don't really know because I was like four. Yeah, not even you guess. He, that team before that lost a ton of games, they lost like every game by less than one score. They went three and eight, but that was one of the best three and eight teams you've ever seen kind of thing. They just lost a ton of close games because Donardo wasn't the best at in-game management. And also, Lou Tepper was a truly terrible defensive coordinator. I, I mean, we can complain about Bo Pelini. Lou Tepper set the set the gold standard, and Pelini has only just begun to approach the records for futility that Lou Tepper set. Hey, I speaking work. of Bo Pelini, oh yeah, guys, it's over. It is. I'll admit, I was in the camp of. I, I always thought Pelini had to go. I I, I never thought, doubted that for a second. But just from the financials, you kind of kind of had to think, oh, God, they might not be able to afford to do it. But then, Posher, I think you're the one who said, no, 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 they can't afford to not fire him. Yeah, it, um, college football is such a big business. You cannot you, – you can't lose. Like, if you're losing, you're going to end up losing more money. I, I think Pelini had to go. So good call by the uh, powers that be. And I love the names that have popped up. Do we know anything more? At the time that we're recording this, not, no. If you haven't, check out uh, Andy Balishuk. Max wrote a really good breakdown of candidates, both offensive and defensive, uh, which is who Pose, Poser was alluding to. Oh, actually, Poser, I think people were saying that uh, Arkansas players are saying Odom is going to stay. So I think that yeah. might be out the running now. Yeah, that's... That, that, That'd be a shame. I love Odom. Uh, Odom is a great coach that doesn't have a huge name, but the work he did at Missouri, just, and they just so far exceeded their talent. And honestly, he's done a great job at Arkansas so far. I would love to see what he could do at a place with a stacked roster. I just don't know if he's a huge recruiter. I just don't know that about him. Yeah, but I don't care. Like he doesn't have to be. He, yeah. I'm with you. It's sort of like Chavis wasn't a great recruiter. You have still... your shadow staff for that. Like Nick, Sa- like Nick Saban's coordinators don't really recruit. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So, I mean, Bar- no, Barry Odom would have been like, I mean, Marcus Freeman is obviously, I think, the best choice. But Barry Odom was really, like, he wasn't my number two. He was my 1A. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it. He, like, he was my 1A as well. He's. I, I honestly think, given the the returning talent on the LSU defense, which nobody wants to hear because people were mad at the players the whole year, but it's really good. And I, th- I honestly think he could have won the Broyles award next year. He's that good. And so I, I feel like if LSU were to come to him, like people have said they're staying before like Joe Brady last year was like signed that extension. And then he was off to the Panthers by the time the ink dried. Yeah. No, no one thought Brady was staying. Right. So, I mean, I wonder if you can kind of coax him out if you really want him. Uh, but, look, Freeman's going to Baton Rouge to interview, so I think they should keep him there. Yeah, that, that's a – if they get Marcus Freeman, that is a home run hire. And if we're looking forward, does he become, not officially, but kind of the anointed next head coach at LSU? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, are they gro- are, are they grooming him for the position? Like when we look at Tom Herman, I mean, he was a great coordinator. He did terrific work everywhere. But when he finally got it, the job at Texas, he just wasn't good at program management. Like he just didn't know how to manage a program of that size. He could do everything else, but that's a huge thing. If they bring him in under Orgeron, is, is Orgeron going to show Marcus Freeman, okay, this is how you run, you know, a top 10 program? Uh, I mean, no, because I think if Marcus Freeman does a good job at LSU, Ed Orgeron's job is perfectly safe. Yeah, po- possibly. I mean, like, if if he comes in and, and is up to snuff as a coordinator, the defense is going to be pretty good, and you're going to win, you know, probably around nine, ten games doing that. So, I mean, they're not going to fi- I, I I cannot imagine if he succeeds, they're going to end up firing an Ogeron. And if they do, it's going to be because of the Title IX stuff, which is going to come out before he even coaches a snap. So, I mean, I, I'm not really sure. Unless Ogeron's retirement were imminent, which I suspect is not the case. Yeah. He's too, he's too yeah. young. Yeah, he probably yeah. is too. So, no, I mean, but I do think he's going to teach him how to run a top 10 program and say, you know, I'm going to show you how to run a top 10 program and you're going to get hired somewhere else and you're going to complete the transaction. And that's the deal they're going to make. And I think that's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love the guy like Marcus Freeman is. Yeah, he's going to he's going to be he's going to be a great head coach somewhere. Um, I, I, and I understand would... the temptation to want him to be the head coach of LSU because anytime you see that great next head coach, you want him, naturally. But at the same time, I think if Ed Ogeron succeeds, he's not going anywhere. And nor should he. Yeah, no. If, but Freeman does look like a guy who's like a one- or two-year hire. Yeah, I, but I think that's I think That's, that's part perfect. Of the yeah, if, yeah. If, he, if, if he leaves after one year, that probably means something went right. Right, yeah. and in that case, Ed Ogeron's safe. The program is stable, and you're winning games. And I'm really not going to complain about that. Yeah, no, I agree. We, we care most about winning games. Yeah. How many how many coordinators has Saban gone through at Alabama? You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I want Marcus Freeman for 2021, maybe 2022, and and that's it. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I could easily sell myself on if, – if you told me Freeman's here for two years – LSU averages at least 10 wins both those years, maybe makes a playoff, maybe competes for an SEC championship and wins an SEC championship. That's the kind of guy you I, – I think what did O.N., at least – or what could be doing O.N., is he doesn't want to get spurned by these younger guys like a Joe Brady who kind of use LSU as a springboard. You got to reverse that logic. You want the Joe Brady's to leave after a year or two because that means – he did his job, and you look like you're doing your job. Yeah, right. I, I mean, part of the great job that Saban did this year is he got Steve Sarkeesian the Texas job. I mean, that guy was radioactive three years ago. Yeah, and I mean, if if the reports of him looking into Bill O'Brien and Adam Gase are true, he's trying to take that to the next level. I mean, he's going, like, Saban rehab is expanding its uh, patient base. Yeah, I mean, he didn't just get Steve Sarkeesian another head coaching job. He yeah, got him the Texas job. I mean, that is an amazing rehab of a guy's image because that guy was done. Right. But, I mean, a- like Adam Gase is coming off the most one of the most incompetent 
two-year tenures as an NFL head coach. Yeah, that's another one. If if he can rehab that guy, yeah, then, yeah, then it doesn't. Then I could go coordinate that team to an eleven-win season. I mean, it, it it cannot be that hard. Yeah, that, that's just amazing. Um, and that that speaks again to the you know program that that Saban has built. Yeah, and that's what you want to see here. If guys are using you as a springboard to other jobs, okay. Yeah, but that means that means you won. No one's trying to hire, you know, no one was trying to hire Bo Pelini this year. And I like where Ogeron's head is at in pursuing Marcus Freeman so heavily um, because I don't think he would have done that a year ago. Yeah. And I also I, like where he's going with the offensive hires, kind of. No, I, I really like the names that you listed. Just about, I think Moorhead is. Yeah, it, that's not going to happen, though. It's going to be Pete's and Mangus. Like, that's pretty much probably close to done which is look that's fine those guys are are young dj mangus knows lsu and he knows that ogeron so there's going to be a fit um and you know they're sharp like he was on alabama staff as an analyst in 2018 so he knows college football and he knows college offenses and josh mcdaniels was going to make him the head coach when he almost got that colts job a couple years ago or i mean the oc yeah colts job so yeah like if if LSU didn't hire him, I honestly think would think the Dolphins should hire him to put him back with Tua. But, you know, it looks like he's going to head to Baton Rouge. So I like that, too. Although I really, really, really would have wanted Joe Moorhead because he's so great. Yeah, like, Moorhead would be – and also, he has the thing where you probably wouldn't lose him. Because I think he has scratched yeah. the itch and he has, you know, found his level as, hey, I'm just going to be an incredibly highly paid coordinator. Right, and it's hard – I think for programs to look at, you know, the guy who had his quarterback miss a game because he got punched in the eye by his teammate, you know, to run your program. So I think you'd have him for three, four years, which would be great. I don't know if you would have Pete's for that long. If he, like, if he succeeds, which I think he's going to have a tough time being successful enough right away to get a job because the offense is pretty depleted. But I mean, you know, that's but that's still he's still young and still has a lot of aspirations. So I don't think he's as afraid of losing guys anymore. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, both both Pete's and Callaway. I, I'm fine with either of those. Those sound like really good names. Um, I do think it's going to be Pete's, but Callaway yeah. is also someone that I'm he's done work at Sanford. And yeah, I don't know what role they're going to put him in, but like. It should be something. I mean, maybe they're going to put him in that role long term if Pete's leaves quickly. I don't know what the deal is, but he, they are putting him, they are giving him an on field role. And remember, uh, with Bill Bush leaving, there is, an, there is an open spot to have that 10th on field assistant. So do you have like a, uh, like a full time on field quarterbacks coach? Could that be uh, Callaway? It's just something to tomorrow. Maybe does uh, Matt Moscona float of this? Does Corey Raymond perhaps just take over corners and sec, uh, and safety and just be a full fledged secondary coach instead of just a corners coach? There's a little bit of uh, cap space, if you will, with the coaching staff because of Bush leaving. Yeah, you, you kind of would like to see a quarterback coach could also be your passing game coordinator. But yeah, you, I, I think we're moving to a place in college football where you might need a dedicated quarterbacks coach. Yeah, I agree with that idea. I think, 
and Callaway's a good one. So he's already kind of been working with the quarterbacks a fair bit. Uh, he recruited uh, Nussmeyer as well. So I would ideally I would make him quarterback or uh, yeah I would make him full time quarterbacks coach Raymond DB's coach Pete's OC and Mangus passing game coordinator. And that's if you sign everybody, and that's the perfect world. But right, but I mean Callaway's already there, and I think Pete's and Mangus are pretty close to to, yeah. to done. And I was saying on radio, I don't know if you guys heard this because I know y'all aren't in Baton Rouge either, but Orgeron in his his talk with his weekly segment with ESPN Radio, he sounded like he's he's got at least Mangs and uh, Pete's, and also it makes me kind of wonder like is, is that the right move? Should he be so like candid about it? Because Ed's kind of honest to a fault, and I wonder if that might end up costing him. Uh, it maybe it I, what I think it may cost him. Like I've been, I, I kind of read that take going around. I I don't think it'll cost him the guys. I think it may cost him a little bit of cash because they're gonna you know kind of use that as leverage. But I don't think it'll cost him them. I, I think it only burns him if he loses them. Yeah, that's true. Then he looks. Then he looks kind of like again. Then he looks silly. But if they sign, then everybody's happy. So I, I think it's only bad. And that's with the fan base, I, but I don't think it hurts him with the coaches, you know. And honestly, because you know they want to be mentioned with the LSU job, it's it's a good job. Yeah, it is. So yeah, it's good for their careers, even if they don't get the job. I mean, that's why you know coaches since time immemorial have floated their name to all sorts of jobs. It's you want to be talked about, right? Let me ask you guys this: uh, I want to, if we can shift gears right quick. Because also while we've been away, LSU's had a lot of key guys from the 2020 team announced they're going to come back. Who's the biggest or the most impactful person to come back? That one's easy. It's definitely at Ingram. Yeah, I was, I was going Ingram as well. Yeah, I, I would think so too. Honestly, yeah. Logan back. Honestly, Shanahan might be an underrated comeback because center is such a hard position to fill. Yeah. And it's nice to have a senior there. I don't think Liam Shanahan's the you know greatest center to ever come down the pike, but there's something to be said for some consistency at that position. That is a hard position to fill, and you kind of want to give your guys some times to fill it. But I do think the answer is Ingram. Ed Ingram coming back just changes the offensive line outlook entirely. Right. Like he's the only offensive lineman on this team that I would kind of describe right now is good because like Shanahan is stable and you need the stability but he's not exactly all that good Cam Wire's not very good Jason Hines was brutal last year so but Ed Ingram is good and Ed Ingram has been good for four years well no three years because he was pretty much absent for one but so I mean you kind of you kind of need that they still need to go fill it out but like that's the big one. I also like the entire defensive line collectively returning. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think it's Ingram as well as the biggest one to be because I, I kind of like going against group thing just to, so it's not an echo chamber poster. How many times have we seen a guy like Ali Gay have one good year at LSU and then just bolt and get picked in the God, I don't know, third round, fourth round? It feels like all the time. Yeah, yeah that is a if he just comes point. back for one more year, you say he's a second-round pick or a first-round pick. And I, I don't know if this is a big cultural change or if this is just 
just a one-off thing, but guys like Ali Gay weren't staying for an extra year at LSU not that long ago. Um, and th- that's if we go back to Alabama, that's why Alabama sustained so much success. I mean, Devontae Smith just won the Heisman. He didn't have to come back for a senior year, but he did. He submitted himself as a top 10 pick, won the Heisman, is about to win a championship. Ali Gay could have something like that, and I, I hope that's something that LSU is starting to gear back towards. I'm never going to be mad at a guy who leaves early because he's going to be a first-round pick. You know, So I don't think we're ever going to see a turnaround of that. No. So I don't think we'll ever see like a Devontae Smith come back. That's just – that's just not the culture LSU has, and oh, that's fine. luck. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fine. But I do think you're right about we've been losing guys who are going like fourth or fifth round kind of stuff when they could have like even a guy like Thaddeus Moss leaving. Like he basically had four or five good games, and then he goes off to the NFL and gets taken what in the seventh round. He doesn't. That's the thing. Doesn't, get, doesn't get drafted at all. I mean, yeah. it's guys like that that really stick in your craw. You're like, come on, you really could have done yourself a, a service by coming back. And I think, yeah, Ali Gay is a really good example of guys like that. I think LSU needs to do a better job of re-recruiting mid-round picks. I don't worry about top-round guys because I think I honestly think there's a positive in saying, hey, when you're ready to go to the league, we let you go. We don't try to lie to you. Make your millions. But if you're a mid-round pick, come back and we can put you in a better place. I also yeah. think what was so critical about like the entire line coming back, I think what's critical about that is just about a month ago, we were you know on here talking, and all of the news was bad. And I think it does feel like the tide has turned, and that's critical. So it feels like LSU is now getting good news after good news. You know, it's it's exactly what we talked about, even with some stuff we didn't expect. You know, you get a good signing class. You beat Florida. You end up five and five, which, hey, that's not what you wanted, but where you were midseason, that feels like a victory. You know, big players start coming back to the program. All of a sudden, all the news around the program is feeling a lot better, and everybody kind of has a happy face, and it feels like you can springboard in the next year that 2020 was just an aberration, not a downward trend. Right, and and I think the th- the one thing I will say about Ali Gay is that I think of all the people that returned, I think he has the upside to be the very best and potentially one of the best players on the team. He's 6'6", 260 uh, at that defensive end spot, so he's like a prototype, uh, you know, figure and, and, and body and everything. And he had an 83 pass rush grade for PFF. So, like, he was probably the team's best pass rusher the whole year. And he's got the uh, the measurables to be even better. So he could be potentially just an absolute, you know, 12 sack, 90 PFF grade freak as a pass rusher. And that'll get him picked in the top 15. And pair with B.J. Ojolari, that can right. really. That's pretty nasty, especially with Mason Smith and Jacqueline Roy backed up by Neil Farrell and Glenn Logan and Andre Anthony. I mean, yeah, that's and- crazy. You'd rather have your impact freshmen come in and be spot players rather than need them to be great right away. Right. You do not need Mason Smith to play. Well, you do. You know, you need him to play because he's a big part of the future. But like you don't need to thrust him in if he's not totally ready. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't need to be a starter. You just need him to come in and say, hey, we need you to make a play here. You know, you can put him in position to succeed. Right. Because Jacqueline Roy 
uh, Glenn Logan, Neil Farrell will do a perfectly fine job on that interior spot. So, yeah. So while the recruiting class did not bring in the offensive linemen, we had like bringing back the offensive linemen was a recruiting win. So especially considering how much better it played in the last two games of the year, like it played, they played objectively good football against Florida who can kind of rush the passer. So yeah. Makes you feel better. It's a team that blitzes, you know, you know, Todd Grantham's emotional blitzing. Like, so that was a legitimately encouraging performance. I think he can throw out the Ole Miss one because they suck on defense. But except for Keishon Boutte having infinity receiving yards. But like they 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 took a step forward. It's it's cool to see them all come back to potentially build on that next year. So yeah, I think we're in a I think we're in a better place. I think it's trending upwards, and that's good. I don't want to get bogged down in basketball and gym just yet, but that's what we'll be shifting our gears towards as the podcast continues into the spring, as Jim will debut this Friday. Basketball's already started. Yeah, basketball's got a big game against Missouri on Saturday. So, yeah, we'll, we will talk about those things as it gets up and going. I'm a little bit disappointed about LSU losing to Florida, but let's not – Let's not focus on the negative. Let's get to the happiness. Well, that's because nobody threw a shoe. And let's go to the question bag. <laughs> All right, so kicking us off, Brad Falk asks, which two LSU teammates on the same side of the ball will be the most talked about? Like Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders at Oklahoma State being in the same backfield, which pair will, will we look back on in disbelief? Early returns are chasing Jefferson for him, he says, in the long run, it's Burrow and Clyde. Well, it depends. It actually depends on the NFL draft. Because if Jamar Chase goes to Cincinnati and succeeds, that's going to be the biggest storyline in that division for a decade. Yeah, so then, then it'll be Burrow and Chase. Yeah. I, I do think Chase Jefferson together is yeah, and, and throw in Marshall as well. I think those three receivers together. I don't want to throw cash shade at Clyde because I do love Clyde, but I do not think 30 years from now people are going to be considering him one no, of running back. the great running backs. I, I think the people who are there will always have an emotional attachment to him, but I think he'll be viewed more as like a Warren Rabb, like from the 58 team, like a guy who's beloved from that era, but I don't think he, Warren Rabb is considered – you know, he's not YA Till. Um, I think if you look at, like, who you can't believe was on the same team, I, looking at it from a, a little bit, I think Eric Martin and Wendell Davis being on the same LSU team in the 80s is pretty remarkable. Um, LSU has a long period where they don't really have any wide receivers, and then they have an SEC player of the year, and Eric Martin has an incredibly long NFL career. They didn't play together for that long, I think, I think they only had a year together, but that's one that's always kind of struck me. It's just like you have nothing, 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 two greatest receivers in LSU history, nothing, 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 and then, you know, the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I just think it depends whichever LSU receiver. It may be Burrow and Jefferson because of how Jefferson's career has gone so far in the NFL, but I think it may just be the three of them. Yeah, I think it'll be, and also I think the answer would have been Fournette and Geis, but Geis is now going to get written out of LSU. Geis is redacted. Yeah, but I mean, if you would ask that question two years ago, 
it's clearly Fernet and Geis. Yeah. But yeah, that's not gonna people are not gonna be having warm fuzzies about that. You might also talk uh, let's see. I, I wanna talk myself into and of course we have to see it. Ricks and Stingley, perhaps? Uh, uh, yeah, that's another one. That's, that's still not Peterson Matthew. Oh, that's an that's another one. Peterson Matthew. That's what I was about to go to. Was, you know, yeah. That entire 2010, 2011 secondary. The, the 2011 secondary, I think, is just ridiculous. And Patrick that's Peterson definitely. wasn't even on that team. Yeah. <laughs> if but, Claiborne's NFL career had gone better. But I will say, like, all of that is moot if Chase goes to the Bengals and they become a dominant duo for a decade. Because yeah, that, I, these I college teammates go into the northern Bengals from the southern Bengals and, you know, making the yeah. Bengals good, which I – whatever. Yeah, if they yeah. even become the Bayou Bengals to the not Bayou Bengals, that would definitely yeah, even add an extra element to it. Yeah. Uh, there were, uh, was, was Fanica and Mawai at LSU together? I think they just missed each other. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that would have been a good one to have to because they're both at least finalists for the Hall of Fame, correct? Well, Mawai's uh, yeah. Mawai, and Fanica is a constant finalist. Excuse me. Yeah, and they're. Um, but if they didn't overlap it, or if they didn't sync yeah, up, I think they missed by a year because Mawai graduated in '93, and I think don't hold me to this. I think Fanica graduated in '97. So if they were on the same team, it was Fanica wasn't playing when they were on the same, you know. All right, so Vinny Bartles asks, with LSU's utter ineptitude in the run game this year, outside of Vandy and Sacralina, are there schematic changes that need to be made, or is it solely a personnel issue? Was being unable to run at Ole Miss, the SEC's worst run defense, more about Jimmys and Joes or X's and O's? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. LSU's run game, by design, is very, very simple. Uh, there's only like three or four concepts that they run, and they don't have a ton of variations on them. Uh, it also doesn't help that you don't have an athletic quarterback that's really good. I mean, Max Johnson's fine, but like he's not that great. He's more of a Danny Etling type athlete who's who can move, but like you're not going to respect him the way you would respect a um, you know a Nick Marshall. Well, although he can't pass, so I don't want Nick Marshall, but. I think there's a lot of schematic changes you can make. Um, just adding more gap stuff, more counter, um, running outside and wide zone more effectively, just that kind of stuff if you're really going to commit to it. Personally, my approach will be pass really, really, really well, force teams to empty the box, and then run what you do into five-man boxes like they did in 2019 because they were great at it. Because they were one of the, they were the, one of the most effective, efficient running teams in the entire country, for that reason. I think the Ole Miss game is a little unfair to judge the running game off of. Because, I mean, good for good for Josh Williams for getting a scholarship, but that dude was a walk on at the start of yeah, the year and got a scholarship. Yeah. No backs, so. yeah, and then you know Trey Badford is. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's recruited as a running back, but they use him a lot as a receiving back. Uh, kind of like as like if only Clyde was split out wide, that's kind of how they used Trey Bradford. And it, it hurts me to say, but Chris Curry. Ugh. Yeah, there's not much there. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah he, he didn't, he didn't have to, to every 100 yards, TDP. almost rushed for 100 yards last year. Look, 
Emory and TDP are not the problem. Um, Emory actually averaged over five yards a carry, which is, you know, about where you want your running back to be, even though he only had, you know, 378 yards total. I don't think the problem is the backs. I think, you know, Emory's a former five-star recruit. Uh, Tyrion Davis-Price is incredibly talented. Um, Yeah, there's no depth behind him. But those two, that is a beyond serviceable pair. Like, that is an upper echelon pair in, in the SEC. The problem is, is that the offensive line was terrible. And yeah, that's the big that and the fact that you couldn't pass. The run game I, is designed to run into five man boxes. Yeah, you, you couldn't pass, and your offensive line was terrible. And right. until you fix at least one of those two things, you're not going to see the run game turn around. Yeah, and I, I think you're going to have trouble fixing the first one until you do some serious work on the second one because Joe Burrow ain't walking through those doors. But he is walking now. Brad Fox back with what team or persona did you mainly play through a video game or did you mainly learn about, sorry, through a video game? I have never been to a hockey match until my late 20s, but could tell you all about the 94 Blackhawks through NHL 94, Bo Jackson through Tecmo Bowl, Dutch soccer through FIFA 99. Who are yours? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Probably like 2010 Argentina. Because I played FIFA on my phone in like 2012 hmm. or so, somewhere around then. I forgot what the team was. Like, because I don't really remember it now, but for there was like a f- three, four year period where I could tell you all about that team and I watched them in the World Cup because uh, Team USA wasn't good. So that that's it. I don't really have a good answer though because that's not a very good answer because I don't really know them that well. But that's what I got. I sort of learned playing, or I sort of learned basketball playing some old PS1 game, and with with the Bulls primarily. And this had to been in the mid '90s when Jordan allegedly retired the first time around, because there was a because Scottie Pippen was the best player, and then they had, they had a character just named Roster Guard. I think that was supposed <laughs> to be Jordan, um, but he was a quote-unquote retired, but I remember playing as Luke Longley a lot, and I loved Luke Longley. I remember, like, I'm not a huge video game guy, but I do remember um, I played a lot of the early NBA computer games, like, after the Bird versus Magic, and, you know, so, like, it was the first time they started putting, like, the whole teams together, and you had, like, real rosters, so, like, late 80s, early 90s, and I loved playing with the Sonics, so, like, the early 90s Sonics, uh, I was really down with, mainly because I, I thought Perkins was – he was great in the game and never quite translated in real life. But, you know, I, I thought uh, – yeah, the Sonics were fun to play. Obviously, it had, you know, Peyton and Kemp. But Perkins was the guy I was always <clears throat> trying to get the ball to. I ran my office offense through him. You know, I've never really been a big gamer – and so I don't really have an answer for that, but I do have a fun story about someone who learned kind of on the job about a sport that they came to love. And that's here in Dallas. We have one of the best arena DJs for a sports team, Michael Gruber, also yes. known as, as Groobs. And Groobs was never, he was always, he's always been a baseball guy. That's, he grew up loving the Texas Rangers. And, you know, that was, that was his dream as a kid was to be a professional ball player, that whole thing. And, 
when he was tapped for the job with the Stars, he didn't really know all that much about hockey. He, he's famously said, you know, I needed somebody to explain to me, you know, offsides and the blue lines and all that kind of stuff. And then he came to really love the game, and you, you always got that sense from him because Grooves is real big on Twitter, and that's how a lot of people locally kind of know him is just by following him on Twitter. And now he's he's – I would say he's just as passionate about the Stars as the Rangers because, uh, you know, it's always harder – to compete with that first love, but you definitely see how much he has come to love the game because he's learned it on the job. And so that, that was kind of the thing that popped in my head with, with Brad's question. We are so lucky in Dallas to have grooves. Oh, we are. Uh, he is, if you're ever in Dallas and you have a chance to go to either, a, uh, he does the stars games. Well, not anymore. He's yeah, officially okay. stepped, stepped, stepped away because he got tapped for the big the big team for the Rangers, which is his yeah, he dream. Got, he might, but him doing Stars games, his choice of music was so perfect. Oh yeah, he you know like during like when they would do goal reviews, him playing Celine Dion, "My Heart Will Go On," or just Inya. So, <laughs> yeah, just just perfect. Uh, but also, like, when I'm a Caps fan, so I would always go to Caps games, he would always play, like, a bunch of DC punk. Yeah. Like, he played Fugazi during uh, a Stars game. And I don't think I've ever heard Fugazi played in a public space, literally ever, mm. <laughs> outside of Washington, D.C. And stuff like that is just really cool. He really latched on. And I forgot which game it is where he just played nothing but Nickelback. <laughs> I mean... So, so funny story about Nickelback and Grooves. So uh, my kids, two of my kids have, have played hockey. Only one's continuing now. But when my youngest was uh, was playing youth hockey, the, one of the, the perks was you always got one game out of the season at American Airlines Center. And they went all, all out. They had a lot of the media guys, in-house media guys there. Grooves was there spinning tunes on the music. And I would go hang out with him wait, you know, while I would wait for my kids' you know, team to come out and stuff. And so I'm sitting there watching uh, my son's game, and there's a stoppage in play. And Grooves starts playing Nickelback. And you know, there's only like maybe 300 people in the entire arena at this point because it's youth hockey and you know, no one's there on a Sunday right. for, for that. And I, I can literally yell across the whole arena. And I, I, I yelled, Groobs, no Nickelback. And he, <laughs> he, he immediately cut the song off. The very next stoppage in play, he came back with another Nickelback song. And everyone in the, in the stadium fell out laughing, including myself. It was awesome. Yeah, Groobs is one of those guys who just, and I think every team has a, someone like that, but He's especially good at like fostering fan relations. He's oh, so absolutely. genuine. Yeah. It just makes the game better. And if you have a guy like that in your town, you're lucky to have him. So All right. Moving along with questions. Vinny Bartles wants to know what's funnier? The playoff committee trying to justify their final top twenty five this year, or Dabo raking Ohio State eleventh in his coaches poll? Oh, we have the answer on that, right? <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, this was this was before that semifinal game. This question came in uh, back on December twenty second. So I mean, yeah, why give them the bulletin board material? Exactly. I mean, what are you doing? The, I, I will say, look, I know most of sports is about who's better. You know, the, the plucky underdog doesn't win. the The plucky kids from across the lake get crushed by the rich kids. You know, Porky's is a lie. That said, 
every so often in sports, there's just a true vendetta game when guys are playing almost on pure emotion. And this is not to say that Ohio State's some you know chump, non-talented team, but that was revenge, and it was beautiful. Ohio State was rubbing Clemson's face in the white dog poop. It was gorgeous, and I can't <laughs> believe I was rooting for Ohio State in the game. But that was hatred. It was revenge, and part of it was because of how they lost last year, but part of it was that number 11 ranking. And they took that one personally, and I enjoyed Every second of sports hatred. I love sports hatred. Yeah, so do I. I didn't really have any rooting interest either way, to be honest, with Clemson and Ohio State. But I was texting with my, my best friend who's an Auburn alum. So we share the mutual hatred of Bama. But at the same time, recognize their greatness when it's warranted. And we were texting before the Alabama Notre Dame game. And I said, you know, I already kind of accepted the fact that we're going to get another Bama National Championship here. So... Having accepted that already, I really want them to just totally blow out Notre Dame the way LSU blew out Oklahoma last year, just so we can see yet once again how Notre Dame has been incredibly overrated and put into a, a game they shouldn't be in and then get humiliated. And, well, I didn't get quite the blowout that I, I had hoped for, but good enough. Yeah, I think the uh, the vendetta started a year ago. Because of what happened in that game that Ohio State definitely should have won. But Justin Fields, particularly, having you know thrown that interception at the end of the game, thrown two interceptions in the game total, and, I mean, the way he came out and was just absolutely, and played the best game of his entire career, even after what looked like a shattered rib, going out there on pure adrenaline and whatever they gave him in the injury tent, it's just, I mean, yeah, that's incredible. But at the same time, it's only really possible because Ohio State is like the second most talented team in the country. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to overstate it. Ohio State's an incredibly talented team. But <clears throat> this one was, they they were not losing that game. And I didn't realize I was rooting for Ohio State until about midway through the first quarter. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm rooting for Ohio State. I didn't know that. <laughs> like, yeah, it, no. It, it rubbed off. Like, you could see how much they wanted to win that game. They they hate Clemson. They hate them. It felt like, to give it an LSU spin, it felt like the first half of the 2019 LSU-Alabama game where you get, it was just so cathartic, and you could just almost see, feel the players going, man, this crap stops today. And, you know, of course, the – I mean, it's not a streak, yeah, but last year they couldn't they couldn't sustain the success of last season. But that's just the kind of feeling that I got. That's what I think Notre Dame was, or excuse, that's what I thought Ohio State was kind of channeling with Clemson. Just that, no, this this is because wasn't that Clemson's, or I'm sorry, that was Ohio State's first ever win against Clemson, correct? I think so, yeah. So like, and and you know, one of them was like in the 50s or 60s, but. The the what was it thirty one nothing in the semifinals and the, or and then the year before's game, so they just had to be sick of that. Just as LSU got sick and tired of the Alabama losing streak, that's what that's what I thought of. Well, speaking of Ohio State, Jacob Hibbard is asking, "What's your read on Ohio State versus Alabama? Can the Buckeyes give Bama a game?" Good luck. 
Yeah, they're gonna get murdered. Like they they really don't match. They don't match up well. They've got COVID issues and still might have to play through them. Oof. Yeah, it's gonna be a. I honestly think their fairy tale was Clemson. Like I honestly think that's what they wanted. Yeah, after I what happened after what happened last year. I think they've kind of done what they wanted to do. They went, they won that. At, like they avenged last year's ending in the national semifinal. It, it's it's kind of like I I know they talked about. I know Herb Brooks talked about you know them needing to win the gold medal game over Finland. But, like, they didn't. But Bama's not Finland. Well, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is like, had they... They already beat their Soviet Union. I mean, I get Bama's closer to the Soviet Union because they're the best. But they they won their... They won the game. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, what happens against Alabama. I agree. It's going yeah, to be bloody. Yeah, it's... Bama's just on a different level this year. They're they're the only team, and this goes back to what we're saying about Nick Saban, coach of the year. They're the only team that's playing a normal season. Right. It's bizarre. Everyone else is playing the zombie season. And Ohio State is really good for a zombie season team. Bama's really good for a normal team. And there's simply no one on their level. And unless Devontae Smith gets hurt again, they're – Going to destroy. He looks uh, like Waddle's going to probably going to play. <laughs> I mean, they're just going to. They're better. I mean, and I don't want to make this like an SEC versus Big Ten thing. This is just a Bama thing. They're no, better. Bama and everyone else right now. Yeah, yeah. This is really a Bama and everyone else. I think in a normal year, I think this Ohio State team could give Bama a run, but this is not a normal year. Yeah, I, I just think Ohio State has secondary problems right now, and that's. You you can't have any kind of problems, especially on defense against Alabama, and expect to win. So they're they, whatever their problem is, it's about to get ripped open and you know poured salt onto. So yeah, they're I think they're going to give up a lot of passing yards. I think Mac Jones is going to go out and throw for like four fifty and four touchdowns, and they're going to put up fifty five. And Justin Fields, you know, hopefully he's healthy and has, you know his fastball, but I think he will. And it's going to go out and have a pretty good game. And it's not going to matter because 38 points is going to get you blown out. That's who you're playing. Yeah. I mean, this is the movie major league. They, they won their play in game, but now they have to play the Yankees. Right. And, and yeah. beat the white Sox. Congratulations. See, I don't think the thing is, I just don't Other think way it really matters. Other way around. Right. Ah, it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen major league. I don't think I've seen it at all. Oh my God! I'm just uh, oh. Oh. rectify that immediately, Max. You have homework. Classic. Oh my God! An unedited, like, non non edited yeah, for television yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Major League. I mean, that's Wesley Snipes before he was famous. Mm. I mean, Charlie Sheen. Just Tom Berenger was the big star. <laughs> Renee Rousseau. I think it's her first movie. Was that her first movie? I think so. Anyway, it's. It's classic. Major League is outstanding. Yeah. Go watch it. It's funny. All right. Vinny Bartles wants to know, how does one go about arranging a cameo on the Sneaky Good podcast? Is there a monetary donation like we're getting onto sports teams at USC? Or do I need to make <laughs> or do I need a make a wish style organization? 
I personally think any kind of monetary bribe, I'm sorry, donation to the Sneaky Good podcast, it would be a, a good thing. We, we can discuss those parameters. Yeah, we can talk offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just go, just go, pay for, go put up some, you know, donate to the Marcus Freeman Fund and, you know, we can make some work. Well, yeah, no amount of money you're going to put up is going to make a difference to Marcus Freeman. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a case of beer could probably get you on the Snake Sneaky Good podcast. Not, really whiskey, <laughs> other, you know. Yeah, not even good whiskey. <laughs> well, I don't know. I might have to draw a, a line somewhere yeah, yeah. with I regard mean, to the, the quality of the whiskey. I mean, it is bad whiskey just because if it's funny, I still might do it. <laughs> like, I haven't had Old Crow in like 30 years. Jeez. Oh, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, finally, Jacob Hibbard asks, and I think we, we kind of hinted at the, this answer already from earlier discussion, but he asks, overall, are you feeling optimistic about the future of the program? Mm. Talk, ask me in ask me in six months. Well, he's asking you now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, look, I don't know. Probably better, but like... They've, they've still got some serious like ro- they, they have Ross. They still have roster problems. Like they have problems on the offensive line. They have potential problems at quarterback if Miles Brennan doesn't you know recover from his injury for whatever reason. And I mean, those are those are going to be inhibitors. Uh, and and I don't know how big Ed Ogeron's leash is for an a nine and three season. I think it should be – I think that should be tolerated given what just happened. But, I mean, I don't know. So they need – they really need stability and they need these big questions answered. Like they need they need a quarterback. They need one of these guys to really step up and actually perform or they need Miles Brennan to come back and be healthy, which is – you know, he still hasn't been cleared. So who knows? Zach? Well, first, I would say if you're feeling confident or unconfident, vote in our weekly confidence poll as sent out in the uh, weekly SB Nation confidence poll post. And then you can read the overall confidence of the site on And the Valley Shook. I feel good about the direction of this program. I, I, I like that fringe fourth round, fifth round guys who LSU for years has lost to the draft for no good reason. Well, for the money, you know, go get the money. But I like that there's a foundation coming back. Another top five class has been signed. There's still some holes in the class, but you know, you you sign a second offensive lineman, you basically recruited your whole offensive line back. So even if you do have a little low with just two linemen on this cycle you brought the whole line save maybe Deculus and Rosenhall back um, I think it's contingent on the coordinator hires offensively it looks like Mangus and Pete's are set Freeman I believe he's going to Notre Dame later in the week so you might need to hold your breath on that one but yeah yeah I don't you know, I, 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 I even I even looked at the schedule a couple of days ago and I so arrogantly go, Oh yeah, we're going 11 and one next season. I'm, I think I'm all the way back in. 
I think a lot depends on how good A&M is next year. They have four seniors on the offensive line. That's we got everybody back on the offensive line. I'm curious who comes back for A&M. Yeah. Because it, it, A&M has nothing but freshmen behind them. If, if they, those guys leave, if two of them leave, they're pretty gutted. If they can get more than two back, I, I think they'll be fine. If they can get all four back, they're, you know, they're, they're in hot cotton. Yeah, they're gonna get Kellen Mond back too. If they get Kellen Mond back, I'm happy. I want them to, get, you know, have Kellen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, but the problem is Kellen Mond is is decent. Is is okay to decent? There's a vacuum behind him. You know, I agree. I agree. But here's the Kellen Mond thing. You know, what? Kellen Mond is the kind of quarterback who is he he will beat bad teams or even average teams. But Kellen Mond is not good enough to beat elite teams. Yes, but and, I want them to have the quarterback that loses to bad teams. And and if LSU was an elite team next year, Kellen Mond is not going to beat him. Beat them. Well, I think especially if they make a good defensive coordinator hire, I think the LSU defense is going to be great right away. Yeah, and uh, Kellen Mond can't beat that team. Right. <laughs> you're, you're going into next season on defense with Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks at corner. So congratulations, you just inherited two top ten picks at corner. You have a defensive line consisting of Mason Smith, B.J. Ojolari, Ali Gay, Glenn Logan, Jacqueline Roy, Neil Farrell, and Andre Anthony. So you're like you have eight starters on the offense on the defensive line. Linebacker is eh, but whatever. And you got, you know, guys like Sage Ryan coming in right away at safety. So your defense is, if you get a good coordinator, you're cooking right away. I still think you have quarterback concerns. Like, I don't want to go into the season riding Max Johnson. I think with a no, good No, I agree with that. I don't want to be riding Max Johnson. I, I think next year it's either Miles Brennan is healthy or you're just turning the reins over to the freshman. Which uh, I would be fine with. But I think you also have to, given the fact that he's not DJ Ongalale or to a tongue of I lower Trevor Lawrence. He's not that kind of recruit. I think you have to be willing to put up with him losing you a couple games in the process. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you always have to, if you're going to play a freshman, but I, I think the value of Brennan getting hurt is it allowed you to evaluate your freshman quarterbacks. And I like some things. That I, I actually liked more things I saw from Finley than Johnson, but I think, Let's play this. I think Johnson is better in the sh- as a as a stopgap. He's a guy who's going to win you games right now, but I just don't think he can get better. Right. Yeah. I think I don't know if he, Finley can really like. I think, I think, I think Finley has the potential. Right? I think there's raw tools there where Finley can be better. The question is whether he'll ever get there. Um, and if you're looking at like what could win for the season to get you down the line, I I think. I actually think they played it right. You play Finley early. It didn't work out. You put in Johnson. He's the guy who can get you to the finish line. I think you go in the next year. I think Finley, Finley's likely to transfer. You keep Johnson as a really good backup. Um, if Brennan can't go, I'm comfortable with Master Johnson in there, but I'm yeah. not excited by it. You, you really want either Brennan to be helpful or for Nussmeyer to seize the job. And yes. uh, Johnson's a program guy, and he'll – he did work for this program, and I, I think that should always be appreciated. But he's more of, if we're looking historically, he's like Fred Haynes, a guy who came in out of nowhere, won a couple of games, and then went back to obscurity. Like, he's not, you know, to once again, use old, he's not Tommy Hodgson. He's not 
you know, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, I don't I, I don't want him to like the thing about Danny Etling is that Danny Etling was a good quarterback. But if you're going to really win major games in the SEC, he can't be your two year starter. Yeah, Max Johnson cannot be Bama. I, he just, he's just not good enough. And if that's the standard of this program, you need to be putting in a guy who you think at least can beat Bama. Um, I do think, as Max Johnson showed, he can beat Florida. Like he, he can, he can keep the lights on, and that's really valuable to have that as a backup. Yeah, the one thing I will say for Max Johnson is that he is technically was technically a true freshman, um, and. You know, there are some reasons to believe, hey, maybe he can't get better, maybe he can. But there is also the chance that he does actually, in a good system, which LSU has, with good stat- skill talent, which LSU has, you know, turn into a potentially, like, good to very good quarterback. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not betting on it. I don't expect it. I would say his high end is Herb Tyler. Yes, yeah, I just think you I don't think you can compare quarterbacks to quarterbacks who have played before even, like, 95. But I do think that's a kind of the quarterback he is. Herb Tyler was not a particularly gifted quarterback, but Herb Tyler was a guy who was the the right quarterback at the moment. And he was responsible, and he, he got them across the finish line, and he pulled off some big wins. But Herb Tyler was not a big-armed, huge, you know, throw-it-all-over-the-field kind of quarterback. He was, you know, a gutty, hey, let's run the ball a ton. You know, I'll get us to the goal line kind of thing. But, like, bleeds purple and gold. That's that's your Max Johnson type. You're hoping Max Johnson can can gut you to wins. And if you're thinking national title good, that's not what you need at a quarterback position. If you're thinking eight and four good, Max Johnson will do. Yeah, but you're not thinking eight and four good. No, you're like, not. I'm thinking ten and two. Yeah, is what I'm is what I would shoot for. Uh, and I think you're going to need Brendan Healthy for that, or somebody more talented. Yeah, but the good news is, is Max Johnson won't kill you. So, and it's good. And right. like I said, he's an incredibly valuable thing to have as a backup quarterback. We now know if our starting quarterback goes down, we have a guy who can plug and play and can win your football games against most teams. Yes, and that's a luxury. And that is a, yeah, that's a good thing to have. And also, he's probably not good enough to tra- to transfer somewhere else and be like, hey, I want to be the starter kind of thing. Like, he's not... I mean, he might because you never know what kids are going to do. But I doubt he's looking going, hey, I could transfer to Mississippi State and be a two-year starter, get killed, but I'd be st- you know, starting for two years. So, Yeah, but I think he could be good in the group of five. That's the other thing. Yeah, the, and the question is whether he wants to go there. But there is something different between – and that's, but I don't think that's a next-year thing. I think that might be when he's a junior or a senior, maybe he wants to close out his you know, career on a high – and, you know, sort of like, uh, what's the space yeah. to go to Tulane? Just so, McMillan. yeah, McMillan, yeah. So I think right now I'm in a good, I feel a lot better about where the program was today than I did a month ago. But I do think, yeah, ask again in six months. Let's see if we feel that much better in six months than we do right now, because a lot of things can change. But right now, feeling pretty positive. There's some momentum and, I think we can write off 2020 as just, hey, it was a weird year, whatever. Right. Everything went every bad. You got every bad break. Yeah. And I I think the team gutting its way to five and five showed a lot about Ed O. Once again, great with his back to the wall. And you like to see the guts. And as a big fan of guts, 
Go Tigers.